Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us. My name is Maria Hadji Dimitriou. I am a thalassemia patient. I am an executive board member of the Coolies Anemia Foundation and an expert patient advisor for the Thalassemia International Federation. Our first guest that I will introduce is Kathleen Durst. She has a Master's of Arts in Psychology. She is a licensed clinical social worker and a licensed independent clinical social worker. She's been a clinical social worker for the Coolies Anemia Foundation since 2008. In addition, she has been a clinical supervisor at Boston University's online social work school since 2012 and recently in clinical practice at Headspace Health. Kathleen focuses on the connection between social and emotional wellness and physical health. In her individual and group remote sessions with thalassemia patients, Kathleen uses evidence-based interventions to increase coping skills, which help patients to develop a toolkit to use when managing the various aspects of their rare blood disorder. Some of the tools are mindfulness, thoughts, restructuring, organizational techniques, stress reduction, care coordination, and many more. Kathleen has a BS from Florida State University, an MA in psychology from Southern Connecticut State, and a uh, master's in social work from Columbia University. Her postgraduate work is from the Beck Institute, specializing in cognitive behavioral treatment with medical conditions. Kathleen has been in academic work since 2007, working in the fieldwork training departments at NYU, Stony Brook, and Boston Universities. Kathleen is licensed and practices remotely as a uh, licensed clinical social worker in Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, and in Massachusetts as a licensed independent clinical social worker. She lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with her husband, her nine-year-old son, and her cocker spaniel. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, George Constantino. I'm also a thalassemia patient, and I am uh, a founding member of the UKTS, United Kingdom Thalassemia Society, and also a founding member and of uh, TIFF, uh, and still a very active uh, part, uh, board member. Uh, my passion is to ensure that all thalassemias all thalassemia people are given the opportunity for a good quality of life. I will introduce you to Dr. Michael Angastignodis. I think most of you, if not all of you, know of him. Uh, this is a very brief bio because I could be talking here for the next uh, three days. Uh, but Dr. Angastignodis graduated in medicine from the University of Aberdeen and specialized in pediatrics in the UK. He has been a member of the Cyprus Thalassemia Control Program from its onset in 1971. He was a member of WHO Ad Hoc Advisory Committee on the Control of Hemoglobin Disorders in the 1980s and has served as the WHO Expert Advisory Panel on Human Genetics. He was Director of Pediatrics Department of Macario's Third Hospital in Nicosia, including the Thalassemia Center and since 2004, a resident medical advisor to TIFF. So we move on to the second part of our segment, dealing with worries about current and future life situations, including education, work, and family. 
the next question okay. is for Kathleen. I have an office job as everybody else. I started from the bottom and I proved myself and progressed few steps. My worries and I am afraid that this will affect my work anyway is that one day I will face a situation that I can't deal with because of my thalassemia. There are no obstacles at the present time, but it is always in my thoughts. So the first thing um, I would emphasize is, you know, spending a lot of time celebrating those accomplishments and everything that you've done, right? So that's like that inventory of, you know, pluses and challenges, I guess. So everything you've done, to get there, the strengths you have, the things you put in place, um, looking at what objectively are you worried about? So being able to make a list of objective worries and are they really objective worries or are they worries that are just kind of more like kind of thought of, I will I will fail or no one will be there for me or, you know, what are those kinds of, of thoughts? Because there's no data to support that type of futuristic anticipatory worry. So being aware of, what kind of worry is this? And, and really put it down on paper. Many of the objective worries can truly be remedied by being prepared. You know, if you um, need to do something work-wise, you know, to predict, do, does your job offer leave of absence? You know, will you need assistance in this area or that area? Can, do you need to maybe save more money so you retire earlier anticipating something? But being real clear about what, what type of worry that is many times the worries are not as as objective and rational and once talked through they can realize that wow look at what i've done so far so why would i think that i can't get to where i want to be so it's kind of bumping up that belief system in yourself and in this case with this particular patient there's evidence to support that you know so this this is like kind of an easy one really um, you know, the past predicts the future many times. So that's some of what I would have to say. Um, worrying to me is a thief of time. Just uh, don't, don't, if you're, if you're, uh, uh, you know, moving up the ladder and succeeding, like you said, celebrate that. Uh, aging with thalassemia is incredibly challenging, but don't allow your worries to steal uh, any part of your today's life and, you know, being with family and friends and like you said, celebrating. So worrying is a true thief of time. And when we worry, um, our heart, I, I feel sometimes that uh, our heart causes that anxiety and then it can lead into worse things. So celebrate today and live every moment. Don't stress what might happen in the future with your thalassemia. Definitely, you know, prepare yourself, like you said, Kathleen, prepare yourself, but uh, take that worry away. So uh, my next question is for Dr. Michael. I am in my 40s and have a girlfriend. I am afraid to get married, fearing that in the future things will be difficult and leave behind me a widow and children. I really don't know if I am right or what to do. 40s is not young. Um, my first reaction uh, to this gentleman who is in a relationship and he's afraid to get married. My first reaction is, it's not just his decision. What about the, the, the lady herself? So, um, uh, according to 
it must be a close relationship or else he wouldn't be thinking of marriage. Therefore, I think the first step would be to talk it over with the girl herself. Um, discuss it, be open. Uh, and uh, I have an impression from what is being said here that she's not going to reject him. So that's point number one. Point number two, I would also talk a little bit about it with the doctor. Um, George, earlier on, said that he became a bit more um, adherent to his treatment once the responsibility of having a, a wife and a child uh, uh, actually became a, a reality in his life. My advice to this patient is also to talk it over with the doctor, see what your condition is. Are your fears really justified that you're not going to survive long? They're probably not justified. One, if there are some dark points, can we make them better? Um, is there a need to adhere a little bit better? Is there a need to connect, to connect uh, some of the things so that the worry about not surviving, the worry about premature death uh, is actually dealt with? So a conversation with the late, with a young lady, a conversation with the doctor, um, and uh, an attitude, if you like, of optimism, because here there's a shadow of pessimism, which uh, may or not be justified, but it should be dealt with. That's the issue. Thank you, Mike. Uh, very well said. Mm. Um, Okay, uh, Kathleen, <clears throat> at school during the breaks, my son prefers to stay away from the other students, fearing that while they are playing or jumping around, somebody will knock him down, especially that he had bad experience while playing. How can I help him to deal with this issue or overcome it? So number one is um, certainly get right in there and, you know, understand his point of view, right? Like to validate his thoughts, you know, his worries, um, how he's thinking. Um, and then I would kind of like switch gears into, this is one of those, when you see the word fear, it means you got to get in there and face it. The only way to reduce fear is to do it. You reinforce fear the longer you stay away from it and the more you're scared it, you just kind of increase those fears. So um, systematic desensitization, one of the probably oldest behavioral techniques ever, super important, helping the child, let's, let's develop a, a plan ourselves <clears throat> between the two of us. You know, we'll get maybe a kid from the neighborhood we know who's really kind of more, a little bit more gentle. Let's play with him a little bit. Then we'll add something. Then we'll add something. Then we'll maybe make it a big football game or something. But it's encouraging him to get in there. When I hear that kids didn't go to gym when they were growing up or they didn't do all these different things, parents were doing their very, very best to, to do what was best. Um, but that is really the thing with, to do with, with fear. You got to get in there. You got to you got to face it and do it, but systematically and gently, and in, with an understanding. You can't just throw them in there. That's not going to work systematically. Actually, we, we, with quite a few of these uh, answers that uh, uh, both uh, both of you are giving us, uh, the end of the day for me is well, 
this is a situation and you do your best and you hope for the best. Uh, and, and that's as far as it goes. Uh, you know, you've got thalassemia, this is what it is, and, and you've got to do whatever the treatment is, but you should not allow it to overcome you. That's that's my kind of summation. Is that, is that, uh, am I wrong? Am I? I couldn't say, like, yeah, put, like, try to keep it in the background. I mean, some, I do the patient panel every year for our conference, and some of the, the best, um, answers I've gotten, I think it's been like eight or nine years I've been doing it, it's the patients who just their parents, their families just kept it in the background, right? It's just, they just moved along and kind of didn't even know it was a thing. It's really wild, right? And so that's ex may sound extreme, but they really did. And maybe they had more resources that they could do that. You know, there's all sorts of social determinants that play into all of this that we're talking about. But yeah, the more we can, you know, it's this, we need this, and then this. Yeah, it, it, it really is extremely helpful, but with empathy and understanding so that the, the patient doesn't feel like, oh, you're minimizing my experience. That's super important. And also, um, I think every single patient uh, with thalassemia or with any condition that's lifelong um, really wants a normal life as well. So, getting engulfed, getting trapped uh, in the disease is uh, something that has to be uh, avoided and liberated. And especially in, in, in the condition that uh, was described in the question, um, we're talking about a child, my son, uh, the, the woman, the, the, uh, the questioner is asking. But um, at a young age, we encourage a normal life. We encourage uh, playing. We, we, we encourage even playing, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, competitive sports, because it's part of normal life and you don't want uh, the patient to withdraw. Yes. So um, uh, I, I, would, uh, I, I would certainly encourage uh, this child to play and to participate in normal activities. Yeah, I remember my hematologist telling my parents to not let her play in any sports, to not let her get involved in physical education at school. She has very brittle bones. And I would just sit at the bench and stare at the other kids play their sports. And I started daydreaming. I became a professional daydreamer um, that that was me playing as well. And I'm winning for the team. And it took one teacher to say to me, he came to me and said, I believe in you, get in there. And I played, that was my start. I played volleyball and I did really well. And I fell and scraped my knee and that's part of growing up. So whenever my doctor went to tell my parents, don't let Maria, Maria participate. I said, no, it's part of me getting hurt, scraping my knee is part of growing up. I want to play gym. I want to play with the other kids. It's really healthy. And um, it, it it's, you know, became part of my life. But when I, in the lower grades, it was a huge void seeing the other kids play and me not play. So, I, I believe that the, the, the most important people here is the actual parents to make sure that the child is not in cotton 
surrounded by cotton wool. Yeah. It, it, it has to be an ordinary child. Regardless of whether he has something, he's still a child. Uh, it, it, you know, he's not a thalassemic child. He's a child who has thalassemia. I believe if parents start understanding this concept, then then things will be a lot easier. That that's that's what I feel. George, you've touched on the one of the most negative influences uh, in a thalassemia patient's life, and that's the overprotective parent. Mm. So we need to educate parents and talk to parents just as much as we talk to the child. The end of our uh, segment of this three-part mental health web, uh, uh, podcast. And thank you, Dr. Michael. Thank you, Kathleen and George, uh, for all the input. We got um, the professional input and the patient input, which is incredibly important for our patients. And we love our patients so much, whether our patients are in Bangladesh or Malaysia, or UK, or America, um, we're here for you. Reach out to us. Do not do this alone. Uh, and uh, we will, you know, just do our best to hold your hands as far away as you are. Um, you are our uh, second family. So we are always here for you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Kathleen. And thank you, Maria, for fantastic moderation. Yeah, good <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye.